Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity to drive your career forward. My guest today is Sean Harper, the CEO and co-founder of Kin Insurance. Sean is a serial entrepreneur who has been able to execute on multiple businesses in multiple different industries, and he taught himself how to code as a kid and eventually hustled his way hustled into the University of Chicago, not too shabby, where he studied economics and fell in love with business. Can't wait to dig into that story. And after graduation, Sean worked at BCG, that's Boston Consulting Group for all you noobs out there, and Longworth Venture Partners, where he got to witness business development and niche finding firsthand. And he has launched e-commerce company TSS Radio, which, crazy enough, you know, I worked with them during my time at Sirius, and payment processor Foo Fighters, no, just kidding, Fee Fighters, I'm sure you guys did that a bunch of times, and has exited multiple businesses. So we're going to dig, we're going to talk about his journey, his entrepreneurial journey, we're going to talk about Ken, direct-to-consumer marketing, and a whole lot more. I'm excited to do this. Sean Harper, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. And I really appreciate this nature setting, because I, I hear that the, these microphones, I can hear the birds in the background, and it's just uh, it's a nice escape. I think I should have done more outdoor shows hmm. over the summer. Yeah, it's a, nice. I, I sit out here all day. It's great. It's, good. it's nice. <laughs> so let's jump in here, man. And as I spoke about earlier, you know, I love to talk about the early career. And I don't think that's spoken about enough on these podcasts, especially when I'm talking to successful entrepreneurs like yourself, those real deep lessons learned. And I want to talk first about, you know, the, the, the programming background. Where did you get that itch? Where was the first itch that you had, you know, to, to, to be, you know, hands on, you know, on the, in the computers? I always, when I was little, I liked playing computer games. My dad was a nerd, and so we always had computers. I mean, he wasn't, he didn't work in programming. He's a police officer, but he just was into technology, and we had gear around the house. Uh, so I just started playing with it. Um, the first computer program I wrote was to keep track of my baseball cards. Hmm. I was super into baseball cards, and I was just like, there's no good program to track my baseball cards. I'm going to make one. I never finished that. Uh, it didn't work, but it, it got me started on it. And uh, I just like making stuff, you know, and this is my creative outlet, I guess. And, uh, you know, as a kid, it was, it was fun. Computers were so janky back then, you know, uh. it's like you, it's just what they weren't like it. They are now. Oh, you know? no way. I, re I remember, I mean, I don't, I don't want to date you or myself, but I remember learning in elementary school, like DOS prompts to make the rocket ship uh, go up and then we'd print them out and everything. And that's kind of like the basic, like basic and, and logo and all that kind of stuff. But what did programming kind of teach you about business? Were there any similarities there? A little bit. You know, it, they're both, to me, they're both about making stuff. And, you know, business is like, you know, I love to see an opportunity and just make something new. And that same, same deal with programming, right? 
there's no program for this, I should make one. And it, you know, it, it really got me into it because I was starting to make these computer programs when I was, you know, in high school or middle school. And, and then you're like, well, I'd really like it if other people used it. So <laughs> I got to figure out how to, you know, market it, you know, how to collect payment for it, et cetera, et cetera. And so I, I really just started, you know, into business because I, I wanted people to use my stuff. Yeah. Um, I also like, I just wanted to make money to be honest. Like when I was, when I was young, I, you know, maybe my parents didn't give me a big enough allowance or whatever, but I was always just hustling. Like I wanted, Did you I wanted more money. Stand? Mail route, yeah, mail. It was stuff like that. Like, because I wanted to buy more computer gear, so maybe, maybe so it's that like was a drive. Yeah, it was a feed. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a fuel. You know, we we're talking about Gary before Gary Vaynerchuk, and you know, for him, it's a concept of money as a fuel to to keep things um, moving forward. So, you know, jumping in, um, uh, Chicago guy, you stayed, you stayed in town there. Um, was was the focus always like? Listen, I'm going to get into this university and I'm going to study business. Was that like the 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 target? Was that the the end game there? Not really. Um, you know, I, I was really like a computer guy all through high school. I was a nerd and I wasn't very popular. And I spent a lot of time playing Warcraft and like programming and stuff. And uh, in my senior year of high school, I took an AP economics class and just got super into economics. And I was reading, I was, I was a huge nerd. So I was reading all these like old economics books like Hayek and Friedman and stuff you probably shouldn't be reading when you're uh, <laughs> a senior in high school you should be doing something more fun um and i also started dating a girl who i was really into and she ended up going to college at northwestern and i was like well shit i kind of want to keep dating her ah, uh, so that's and i'm really into economics and now i'm obsessed with milton friedman of all things university of chicago is where i should go but i had terrible grades so I had to figure out a way to get into college, even though I didn't have good grades. Uh, How'd you do that, man? Well, you know, at the time... Did you break it think... to the computer system? Did you change your grades? I mean, it's long past now. I don't think anybody's going <laughs> to... Don't tell anyone. Um, no, no, I didn't do anything like that. But, you know, at, at the time, and I think this is still true, the University of Chicago was really into just getting weird kids. Hmm. And so I, I had pretty good... Weirdness quotient? Huh? Yeah, a pretty good weirdness <laughs> question. You know, they, they had this thing called the uncommon application. You know, all the schools have the common application. Right. There's this like the opposite. It's the uncommon. You can't do the common application with them because they're weird and they want weird people. And uh, and so I, I apparently had a sufficiently weird application to get onto the wait list. And then I was like, wow, this is good. I didn't expect to make it this far. And so but I just what started. Made, but what made it weird, Sean? What made it like? Do you remember the application? I'm I'm super curious now. Like, what was it? Was it like an essay format? Like, how did they go about assessing your weirdness quotient? I wrote a computer program, and I like wrote. You know, I, I compiled it, and it, it basically was like a computer program that told everybody all about me, and had some like embedded like games and stuff like that. And I burned it to a CD. And I sent them, I got, I like got the little CD kit so I could put a cool yep. label on the CD and everything. And that's what I sent them along with all the source code that went to the computer program. And so I think that was, I was probably the only person that submitted a, a computer program for my, for my, you know, application. Uh, you know, and, and apparently, it. yeah. 
can we can we pause for a moment and just go back to a little bit retro and and how old we feel now? I re- I remember burning CDs. I was big into music. Um, well, still am into music, but I would I would rip stuff off of Napster. I shouldn't be saying this now, right? <laughs> and I would burn like mix CDs for it. And I had the CD burner. I had a couple of them, and it was just fun. And then the worst part was you would get so far down the line, and then there would be like a like a critical fail, like an error fail, and you would just curse your head off because some of them took longer than others. Or I remember I did a lot of like data backup on them. I would back up all my school files. Those are the good old days, and now we have things on a the edge of our fingers, right? I know it's it's too easy now. You know, I had I had this crazy, you know, I, I worked at a computer store for a while, so I would always get like the hard drives that were like no one wanted anymore, hmm. and I had this like PC basically. I built it into my music server. It had like ten hard drives in it. They were all like small hard drives I got for free, and I would just rip all the CDs onto this onto this music server basically and so i had my own little like version of spotify i guess that's awesome but it, it was it was a lot of work of course uh and 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 then you know i don't know what i did with it i probably just threw it away at some point so fast forward you come out of school and you land at boston consulting group i mean was that a was that a was that a culture shock to you let's talk about it culturally first before we get into what you learn like was it a smooth landing a smooth transition for you to go into this i mean listen for anybody who doesn't know i mean we're talking you know this is major leagues here from in a consulting perspective there's process there's you know it's a whole thing over there talk to us a little bit about that experience in your life because i think it's important you know and I, for me i think the hardest transition and and i see it in a lot of because i'm in the recruitment business now or is that life transition between college university and into the corporate world especially a bcg type place yeah i was i was pretty ready for the corporate aspect of it because i did a lot of internships in school like i did an internship at goldman i did an internship at credit swiss i did an internship at a hedge fund so I was always just like, you know, hustling. And so I, by the time I got out of college, I was used to business communication and, and all of that. Um, but the one thing that was really surprising to me was how little attention to like the details and content people had within these big companies. Because at these consulting companies, you're... What do you mean? you're sort of dropped into these companies and the companies have big problems and, and you're, you're supposed to like figure out what it is and put it in a presentation and help them solve the problem. And the thing I realized pretty quickly was like a lot, especially at the higher levels at these businesses, they often don't really know how the business works. They don't know how the sausage is made. They have no idea. And so it was, it, it, it was frustrating at first. Cause I'm like, why are you asking us this question? What, what the hell do I know about this? I'm 23. And uh, then you realize the the answer to all of these is like, you just go find the guy in the basement who knows the answer. <laughs> but, but, but is that, but is that, is that the, is that the secret like of what learning and like, is it the, like if, if you're automatically a naturally inquisitive person, but you don't have the experience of being like, you know, um, you know, inquisitive in the workplace. I mean, just trying to figure shit out, right? Like figure it out, find the answer, just find out who knows and, it. And don't be afraid to, to not know. Right. Because I think you see a lot of these companies, people would just sort of pretend they knew what was going on. And at the end of the day, no one knew what was going on. Like, you got to be able to say, no, I don't know how this works. Tell me how it works. I'm going to go find the guy who can tell me how it works. I want to know. And I want to know the details of it. And uh, it's it's kind of fun. It's like a little detective uh, is, you know, story. Is, is, and I'm jumping way ahead. I'm gonna, we're going to double back here. But when you're interviewing folks that came to work for you, how important is that natural... Um, inquisitivity, the problem solving. I mean, is that like the core thing that you're looking for in a new employee? Yeah, there's so our two cultural values at Kin are 
Uh, one, we run through walls. And that's just like your determination, your grit, your tenacity, detail, your tenacity, all, all that stuff, because it's, it's hard what we're doing. Um, so that's a, that's a really big part of it. And then the other part is like, you have to be chill. That's our second core value. That's, you have to be able to do all that. You have to be tenacious and brutal and like stick to the facts and everything like that. But you also got to be nice to people when you're doing it. Yeah. Uh, That goes without saying. Um, and then the other, the other thing that's really important to us again is I want to make sure that whoever is closest to the data is making the decision. Cause I just don't want to fall into that trap. I saw at these, at these big companies where, People would be like, "Oh, let me go ask my boss." It's like your boss doesn't know the answer to the question. You know the answer. He's not in, the, he's not in the trenches. You know yeah. the answer. You just want that. That's some kind of validation. So from exactly. BC, so from BCG, you know, we go to setting up shop at um at, at TSS Radio, which, correct me if I'm wrong, becomes a you know a top inc, you know, 500 fastest growing business. Um, what was that experience like? And and you know that that key golden nugget that you take away from your experience building TSS that you apply daily. There's a lot. There's a yeah, so, we call that a three-parter in this in this line of work. <laughs> it was that was really fun. So I had this friend who I grown up with, and he was the most entrepreneurial guy I knew. He was like from an early age, he would like be selling candles door to door, and like he had a magic show. He charged candles, candles, because he was like making candles in his garage. Like, why are you making candles? It's like oh, I could sell better them. than making meth in the garage, right? Probably less <laughs> profitable though, but more legal. I assume so. Probably less, <laughs> probably less dangerous too. Yeah, you don't want to blow up your parents' garage. And uh, and he was just like, "Hey, I want to. I'm I'm going to start this business." And it was a stupid idea that was sort of tangentially related to what TSS Radio eventually became. And I was like, "Yeah, man. Like, I will. I'll I'll do that with you. You're 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 amazing. Like, you know, you're so you're so entrepreneurial. I can't help but support you." And uh, so so we just sort of started at a very you know, very basic level, like trying to sell stuff online that was related to satellite radio. And and it was such a janky low rent operation at first, right? Like we, we were, we had physical inventory and we like stored it in Taylor's apartment. <laughs> and then when we ran out of room in his apartment, we stored it like on the lawn, like he lived in a coach house. So we were storing it in like the backyard of his landlord. And it was just like, I hope it doesn't rain. Oh and we were God. just doing everything in the most scrappy way possible because we didn't know anything. We'd never started a business before. We were just sort of figuring it out as we went. And, and you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. You know, we made a lot of mistakes. But, uh, you know, I, I think if you I, always, I I still do this, like if I if there's somebody in my life who has a passion for something, an idea and wants to do something with it, you have to support these guys in however way you can, because it's important for them. And also it was a great outcome for me. I got involved in this business that actually you can't fake passion. Well, you can't fake passion. Right. And when someone has it in something, you got to support them as best as possible. And, you know, even if it's a crazy idea and there's some nugget of feasibility there, you have to at least see it through. It's crazy. And for those of you that don't know, it's funny. TSS radio uh, was selling, um, uh, aftermarket and other satellite radio products. And I worked closely with them during my time working at Sirius XM. So it was real funny when I was doing my research and I'm like, holy shit, where'd I know TSS radio from? Uh, it's just funny how small that the world is. So, you know, from there, you know, I read that the company you sold to Groupon was similar to Stripe. Um, how was it similar? And, and why do you think they, you know, bought it instead of, you know, instead of going to Stripe and trying to integrate Stripe into it? You know, what was? Yeah. So, so at TSS radio, I got really frustrated by our payment provider. 
and the you know we were processing all our all these credit card transactions right. online it just didn't work the way i expected it to you thought just go right into the account nice and easy someone pays something it goes right in it's in the account we can take the money out we make money no the apis were crappy the pricing was complicated and unfair it was just really frustrating i was like let's let's do you know i can do i can do this better so we started building this payment processor and actually it started out not as a payment processor it started out as a website where you could go to choose the best payment processor like a middleman. yeah exactly we're like a like a kayak for credit card processing and that worked okay people like the idea of it but we realized about two years into that maybe a year and a little bit more than a year into it that all the options we were comparing weren't that good and so like we're, what we're like, showing people is not good. Like we're showing you options, but none of them are actually good. Isn't it crazy how the opportunity comes from something? Absolutely. And so we just started, we we're like, okay, we can make a payment processor. And, and so we just sort of stopped that business and we started writing a next generation payment processor that had really fast underwriting that had a really good API. Um, and, and that's what we built for a while and we launched it and we were trying to raise money for it. You know, we'd, we'd raised like a million and a half of VC money. So we were going out to raise another round. It was right around the same time Stripe was raising their first round. It was like a $20 million round. So uh, we were terrified by that. We were like, oh, they've raised 20 million bucks. Like, how are we going to keep up with these guys? And uh, and Groupon at the time really wanted to have a competitor to Square, the point mm -hmm. of sale business. And their thesis was, well, we're delivering this one thing to these local merchants that they really need, which is customers. What else can we give them? How can we get deeper into their business and become the merchant operating system? Sticky icky, as we call it, right? Exactly. And so they they really wanted to own you know a, a point of sale business and a payments business. So they bought us, and then we bought a couple of other related businesses, and we sort of turned it into this little square competitor within Groupon, which uh, was was an adventure. It was an adventure, and how'd you how'd you exit out of that? Um, you know, I, I was really excited about it for like the first year and I had a three year earnout basically after they bought us and I was really excited about it after the first year. I'd never worked at a big tech company before. That was exciting. Uh, it was, uh, an idea that I was very passionate about and I really bought into it. And then, you know, about a year in, you realize like, this is a big company. The core business isn't doing that well. There's a lot of drama associated with having a stock that goes from mm -hmm. 20 to back up to 10, down to six. And, you know, we just sort of got sick of it. And by the time the earnout was done, which was uh, three years, we were ready to go do something else. And, you know, that was nice. It was a great experience, though, to, you know, start a business and sell it and work at the acquirer for a while. It learned a ton. It was great. And, but what do you think you would do differently looking back? Um, I, I would not have sold uh, Fee Fighters. You know, mm -hmm. that space got so hot and, you know, we were Payment right. Tech, yep. Payment tech got so hot. Even like the third, fourth players are now, even still, you know, raising huge rounds, uh, you know, going public and, and we, we I mean, should have stuck with it. We were just scared. I mean, I mean, think, I mean, if you're kind of Monday morning quarterbacking a little bit, I mean, the pandemic, you know, forcing everybody online with every single thing, certainly, certainly, you know, added to that too. So, so let's, let's talk about this. So. People always ask me, like when you're interviewing entrepreneurs, please tell us a story. Was it was it over a beer? Was it over a number of conversations? Where did the nugget, where did the seed for Ken really start to germinate and where was it planted? So this one actually similar to my first business was started when I met my co-founder 
And so I kicked out of, you know, my aeronautic group on, I was doing some like consulting gigs, basically just to, you know, just, just for something to do while I was incubating and trying to figure out what business I wanted to start next. Cause I, at that point I was super hooked on starting businesses. Like this is, this is what I do now. I know I can do better next time. And I ran into Lucas, my co-founder and we hit it off right away and we we're like, we should start something together. Right. And so for the next year, basically we just really put our heads down and tried to figure out what business to start. And now we had some like, you know, side gigs on the side and, and uh, you know, other stuff to do. And that gave us a chance to work together and really study the market. So it was totally different than my other two businesses. The first one, you know, the product was sort of set by Taylor, who's, right. who's passionate about it. And we pivoted into something else and it turned out well. The second business, I was passionate about it because I'd seen the problem firsthand and we pivoted into something else. Right. The third one, we were like, kind of being management consulting about it. We're like, let's study about, the whole market. Like, yeah. Where's like, the white space? Where is there where is it ripe for disruption? Where's the opportunity? And how does that map to our skill sets? And where could we really do something that's impactful? And that's what we were thinking about. So it took us a year, but we found we found this business and it, it's a huge business opportunity and it's something that's really important. So why insurance? And specifically um, we're talking about we're talking about home homeowners insurance. Yeah. So Ken for everyone Ken out does there who doesn't know what Ken is. Ken does homeowners insurance. We do it direct to consumer, which is unusual because Cutting most homeowners middleman. are sold through these middlemen. Um, that was similar to Fee Fighters because we were cutting out the middlemen. Uh, it is really high tech. So a lot of the manual stuff that legacy insurance companies do manually, uh, we're able to automate and, and do over your phone. And we also, um, we, we do homeowners insurance in the most dangerous parts of the country. And so about half of this is a $110 billion market. About half of it is places where I live, like Illinois, where the weather is pretty stable. It might be cold, but it's pretty stable. We don't get hurricanes or anything like that. And about half is in places where the weather is a lot more volatile. High risk. Like California, Texas, Florida, Carolina. Floods, fires, tornadoes, all, all those natural disasters seem to be happening a lot more these days. They are happening a lot more, and it's really hard for the insurance industry to respond to it because they're these are old companies, right? And they've been doing things the same way for a long time. <clears throat> they have a hard time responding to change. Meanwhile, the world has changed a lot. The customer preferences have changed. You don't want to talk to that guy in the strip mall anymore. You want to do it on your phone. Technology has changed. You know, a lot of these companies are running, they computerized. It was one of the first industries to computerize. So we should give them mm -hmm. props for that. A lot of the times they're running on the same computers that they've been running on for 40 legacy that really defining yeah. legacy platforms there, man. It's the very definition of legacy. Yeah. And then of course the weather is changing and it's becoming more and more volatile and that's ha that's happening everywhere. And so we, we need to figure out how to profitably do insurance and provide insurance to people who live in places, you know, where the weather's more volatile because, because you can't live. You actually like can't get a mortgage or buy a home if you don't have insurance. So correct for anyone that doesn't know that you cannot, get a mortgage or you could lose your mortgage if you don't have insurance. I mean, two years ago, I let my insurance, my homeowners accidentally lapse by like a day and it was a nightmare. It's a whole thing. Absolutely. It was a whole thing. I almost lost my home. I almost lost every, it was, it was really scary actually that how, how one, one misstep on a payment because a credit card balance, like some crazy thing with a check. Like, well, that's the crazy yeah. thing, right? Like you, you did, it was just an accident. It was just a Complete service accident. Problem. Yeah. The insurance company should have had some way to update the payment method or have a second payment method or contact you or something. And something didn't happen there. People that happens to people all the time. It's really annoying. And it's, you know, just because it's not a very efficient industry. So 
that was that was our idea. Um, you know, we we started out saying, hey, we can use tech and big data and everything to make insurance better for everybody, homeowners insurance. And then we we sort of refined it, and we realized that there was half of the country that really, really, really needed this. And we said, okay, cool, we're going to do it Focus for those guys because you know it's just more it's more fun to provide something that people really need and of are course, excited you're, about. You're helping them. I mean, this is their life. You need insurance. You know, if your roof blows off, no one has fifty thousand dollars just sitting around. You know, if you lose your you lose your property. But let me ask you this though: um, What did you know about the insurance industry before you stepped in it? A little bit. I knew a little bit because I had done a lot of work when I was at BCG in insurance and there are a lot of similarities. So you knew the economics. I knew the economics. I knew a lot actually about the agents and all the inefficiencies that come from those agents because I had worked on a case at BCG that involved that. And the financials, right? The cuts that are going to them versus what you could do from an efficiency cost perspective and put back into the tech and the experience. You got it. That's exactly right. So I actually had a case and this is this, consulting is such a great way to learn about opportunities and just it's such a great job for learning. But I had one case where I was literally driving around like rural Ohio, visiting these little insurance agencies and spending the day with them being like, what do they do all day? And they'd have a notebook. I'd be like, from 815 to 845, he drank coffee from 845 to 915. He talked to a guy who came in and then you just you learn a lot being that close to the details. And so I, I knew a lot about that. And uh, we knew there was an opportunity there. And, and Lucas also, you know, he had, he had spent a lot of his early career at Accenture and had worked on some of these big IT projects, you know, like redoing the claim system for a top five insurer. And, mm-hmm. and he just, you know, he had seen how bad the tech was and how hard it was for the really smart people at these insurance companies to do their jobs as well as they could because they were just so hamstrung by the fact that tech didn't work the way it was supposed to. Yeah. So let's talk about the early days. You're, 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 beta, you're beta early days. I mean, listen, it's only a couple of years old, but you're, 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 you're beta testing it out there. Was there ever a moment where you're like, shit, like we, we had a hypothesis on maybe it was a specific portion of the product, the functionality that you thought was just going to crush it with consumers and you were completely off on it and you had to, you know, go back to the drawing board. We had, so one of the nice things about this is we had consumer demand for it right away. And that was actually similar to what happened after we pivoted in TSS radio. It was like, whoa, we nailed it. People want this stuff. And they're done with the old guard. They're over it. They're sick of it. They're frustrated. They want something they could control with their, their hands. They don't want to be on the phone with, with, with reps and third world countries all day. They just want to have control. You got it. And so the customers, the customers were showing up. The, we did run into some problems though. And, and we had sort of an existential crisis because what happened? when we started the company, we obviously weren't in a position. Sorry, that's that's my computer. I'll, I don't know what's going on. When we started the company, we weren't an insurance company. Instead, we were this sort of like virtual insurance company that was renting the license and the capacity, the insurance, like the balance sheet. Behind the ability the to do, to, to, yes. To actually do the insurance. Do insurance we were it, yep. from, from another company. And we, you know, we'd signed a deal with them that we thought what, we gave them a bunch of equity in the company. We thought it would align our interests for a long period of time. And we were really happy with that arrangement. About a year in, we just started to realize, like, this isn't working anymore. You know, they're too rigid in the way they do things. We can't innovate the way we want to. They think that they own us, basically, because, mm-hmm. you know, and, and of course, our board of directors at this point was like, no, like, you have to 
do this over <laughs> like you can't you can't do what they want you have to do this other thing and um and so we had to we had to fix that problem on the fly the way to fix it was to become an insurance company oh that takes a lot of money and it takes a long time the regulation i mean what is it what what, what even goes i mean i watch this i don't know if you watch the show billions and 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 axe bobby axe is trying to get his bank right now i mean what's i mean that's the only thing i know about that but it's gotta be like so you're like you know what we'll just create our own it we'll just be our own insurance yeah basically so it's not quite as hard as starting a bank in the u.s um but it's almost as hard to start an insurance company and so we you basically have to get a state insurance is regulated on a state-by-state basis you have to get a state your home state to give you the give you the license and you need to have capital that's necessary to get a credit rating because the mortgage companies won't accept you unless you have a credit rating. You have to back it. You have to be able to back yeah, the so, claims. So we went out, not to VCs, who we'd always raised our equity money from because they, they wouldn't give us enough, but we went out to a reinsurer in Bermuda and a life insurance company. And life insurance companies have tons and tons of money. And we borrowed enough money to put in the bank account to get the credit rating. And then we started with the regulatory approval. Now it took a year. Right. So we were in limbo in this business. We couldn't grow. Our VC investors all expected us to be growing. Uh, we couldn't grow. We didn't know when the regulatory approval would come through. And we were in that limbo for a year and it was brutal. We had to lay off like half the oh. company. It was awful. Did you think it was going to go south? Or were, you con- were you confident at that time, Sean, that you were going to pull through, that this was a solution? It was going to be a painful road for X amount of time, but you were going to pull through. I mean, were you confident there or were you scared? We knew it was the right solution. And I was pretty sure we could get it done, but not sure. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, there was definitely a time, you know, because because we we actually set everything up. So all you know, the license would come through and we had to raise a new equity round and we had this debt round. They all had to basically close in the same week. They're all sort of interdependent on each other. Dominoes. And, yeah, it was dominoes. And and it happened about a month. It took about a month longer than than we really thought. And so for that month, I was like, shit. Like, this could be the end, you know, <laughs> like, what am I going to do? Right. Up against the, the ropes. Yeah. It was rough. And the bank account went down to zero. And like, I had to borrow some extra money from one of our banks. And it was, it was really rough. Um, but it, it came through and, and, you know, I, I was never sure it would be successful. I was never sure it wouldn't be. I was sort of like, you know, depending on how things were going, I'd be like, oh, 75% we get to live. <laughs> or like 25% we get to live. Uh but you know, we 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 were fortunate. We we yeah. made it through, and and after that, everything was really great. Uh, and it's, it solved the one big problem in the business that we, you know, that, that could have really tripped us up. It's it, it's a great story too, and I, and I really love the fact that you're really trying to service these under. under I don't want to say the, these these areas of the country that are so susceptible to, and, and, and just, I'd love to get your, your, your personal point of view and, and how that feels. I think how does it feel to actually be able to be there for people, for humans that may not have any other options that their other insurances drop them. They've, they've gotten on this unlucky town in the middle of, you know, where Nebraska gets hit with four tornadoes in a calendar year. And all of a sudden all the insurances are dropping them. It's really cool. So it's cool on, on the two things I find the coolest are, We'll have customers every day who are like, oh my gosh, dealing with my insurance used to be such a pain in the butt. It was so awful and expensive. You guys made it so simple for me. Now I just don't need to worry about it. Like, that's cool. And then the other one that happens is like, you know, we actually fix people's homes when they get messed up. And 
you know, like we just got hit by this big hurricane, Hurricane Ida. It was like a right. huge hurricane. And a lot of our customers were in the path of it because uh, we're, we're very active in the state of Louisiana. And a lot of these customers, we were actually using technology to start repairing their home before they had even returned home. Because a lot of people left, right? Because like, you don't want to be right where the storm's going to hit. No, so people not a good idea. New Orleans and they go to Houston or Atlanta or, you know, go visit family somewhere. And, uh, and, and, and they didn't know, they actually didn't know, like, is my house they, okay? They didn't know what the damage was. Absolutely. And so we were able to use, in that case, we were able to use aerial imagery mm-hmm. and some image recognition algorithms to tell if their home was fine or not. And when their home was fine, we were able to text them and say, Hey, good, good, good That's news. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and when their home wasn't fine, we were like, Oh, Hey, by the way, your roof has some damage. If you're okay with it, we'll go out there and put a tarp over it and we'll start getting you some quotes from roofers. Wow. And we'll start Proact- proactive insurance. I mean, that's, that's mind boggling. It's how it should be. It's how it should be. They should, the people don't want to check, right? If something bad happens to your house, you don't want to check. That's going to help you. You just want your house to be back the way it was before. Wow. What a huge point of difference right there. I mean, that that's like a, a, a mindset shift. And and tell me, like, does does that like kind of just go into your overall approach for for problem solving? I mean, how you go after solving a problem in life? Like, think about it. Like, you know, there's a big gap here. Something's wrong. How do we fix it? And it's just a like a human approach. How would I treat somebody else as a human in a business sense? Why it's is it not so hard. That complicated. It's not that complicated. Just. You know, it's it, people tell you what they want, right? So if you go talk to people, they'll tell you. And there's business opportunities all over the place. You talk to people for ten minutes, and you'll be like, "Okay, cool. There's a problem. I can solve that problem. I can make money solving that problem." What's 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 the goal with Ken? Right? Do you want do you want to be the the, the biggest, baddest, best insurance company in in the country in the world? I mean, what's the end game here? Yeah. So when when Lucas and I were doing that sort of discovery, that one year journey through the desert of discovery. Um, it, the Vision number quest. one criteria was this has to be something that can be big. This has to be something where if we do everything right and we get a couple of lucky breaks, this could be a big iconic company for the next century. And, you know, this is a space where it's big enough to do it because home insurance is a big industry. Incredibly and it's also, it touches so many other things because if you think about, you know, what could we do to get more involved in fixing people's homes proactively? Could I get involved in other lines of insurance? Because home people who own, own homes are usually good customers, right? They have assets, they buy other things. Could we get involved in mortgages? Good profile. You know, one thing we're looking at right now is we fix a lot of roofs. When we fix your roof or upgrade your roof, could we also install solar panels? Mm-hmm. Huge business. Absolutely. It's a huge business and it depends on you having a good roof. And if we're up there on the roof anyway... Might as well. Two birds with one stone. But you have to have good roof angles. I learned that quickly this summer when I was looking at the solar. You got to have good exposure. Yep. Little things. I mean, it's it's incredible. Like you're starting at that point, and there's just so many ways to to branch off it. That's incredible. I got to ask you, as somebody who is you know a leader within an organization and has been through a lot of different companies, are there a couple of go-to questions that you have when interviewing candidates to? really be able to i mean interviewing is tough to find out somebody's character or assess somebody's character in, in 30 45 minutes on a zoom call is incredibly difficult but do you have a couple of those go-to questions that at least give you some indicators or may raise a red flag the the one of the things that is really hard sometimes is people will put things on their resume that they were just involved with that they didn't actually do Especially if they're working at a big company, they'll say, I did X, I did Y, I did Z. 
if you don't ask the right questions, you'll realize after they come working, come and work that they were just there. They were just along for the ride. They were part of a They weren't a contributor. They weren't active and, and they, they don't actually know how to do it. If you ask them to do it again, they wouldn't know how. And, and that's, that's really hard. So you need to figure out how to ask, like, what was your actual part in this? And ask enough detailed questions that you can really figure out the bullshit. Uh, you know, what, what, what can they, what are their actual capabilities? That, that's one that, that I, I've really had to invest in a lot because we recruit a lot of people from these big insurance companies and, and it's just hard because they're so bureaucratic. Interesting. Interesting. So you have a philosophy to ask people for something, even though you think you're pretty sure they're going to say no to it. Why do you think that's important? And, and how does, how does that help you grow? Um, well, I mean, if you don't, if you don't ask, you're not going to get it right. Nope. <laughs> so, Golden rule right there. <laughs> uh, you might as well ask for it. And, um, and you also, you know, you, you don't always know what's possible. And so sometimes by just sort of like starting the conversation, you know, maybe they won't agree to that, but maybe they have something else they'd agree to. Yeah. I mean, and I always say a no is be- a no is better than a no response. No, just for me means not now, you know, and I'm going to do the follow up. And that's when I have my, my little Google uh, calendar send reminder and send it in a few weeks. Big, 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 big game changer right there. Yeah. You try to get it to be not a no, but a no, but. Mm-hmm. Right. Like what would change your mind? You say, no, I'm not, I, that's not something I want. But if it did X, then I'd want it. You say, OK, cool. I'll put that on list. And if enough people tell me they want X, we'll go build X and I'll hit you up when we have X. Yeah, that's that's the way you do it, folks. How, how, how did you meet up with Matt Higgins? How did you connect with Matt and his squad over there? We So just like everything else, we met through uh, a connection. And so one of one of my angel investors uh knew somebody who works with Matt and thought we would be a good combination and just introduced us. Um, and we just started talking at the time we were talking to a lot of people about, you know, sort of financings and going public and SPACs and all of that stuff. And Matt, he, he did something that was like something I would do. <laughs> he was like, cool. We just had the zoom conversation. Can I come see you? And by the way, this is like at the peak of COVID. This is like last spring basically every and everybody it, was suspectedly contagious exactly the yeah no maybe it helped. we we had both like just had covid so i think we were both sort of like okay whatever i'm gonna go we got the stuff. antibodies we're cool yeah <laughs> we can't get uh, but he just showed up in our office he's like yeah how about tomorrow and i was like yeah like whatever like we'll do it tomorrow and we just got into talking about it it was clear like there's a really we just think about things in the same way and great. we're always looking for investors you know we we want investors who bring more than more than just money and he brought a lot of creativity on the marketing side. And, you know, Florida is a really big state for us. So with him and the Dolphins and Steve Ross and everything like that, there's just a lot of cool angles in, in Florida. There's just something about Matt Higgins. There's just something that, 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 that I love. And for me, for I mean, he's a direct mentor to you. But for me, he's a mentor through osmosis from afar. And I just watch the way he operates, the way he does things, the way he interacts with people. I mean, he's a gold standard, man. And, um, you know, if you have a chance, I'll link you up afterwards to my interview with him, which is amazing. Oh, cool. um, you know, the story about him meeting Gary, that whole thing uh, is, is pretty cool, too. And it just says so much about him and his character and, and, and his humble beginnings. You know, where he came from, I think that really says a lot. Um, let's talk about SPACs for a moment there. Um, how would you describe what it is to someone who has no clue, they're hearing it in the news, and why are you guys going down this route? Yeah, so a SPAC, it stands for a special purpose acquisition company. It's basically somebody like Matt, you know, who's a successful person uh, or sometimes they're associated with an institution 
they'll basically go out and they'll raise from investors. They'll have an IPO, but there's no company. It's just like, we're going to find a company later and merge with them. And so there's a bunch of people doing that now, and I think it's really great. Uh, so they, they have this pile of money, and then they go out and they try to find a company that they can combine with. You know, and obviously they're looking for like a good deal and a good company, but I think the best specs are also looking for a company where they, they have an angle where they can really help in some way. And so, you know, then, then, you know, they do diligence on the company that they've selected, you merge, and then the result is that the old private company now is merged into this sort of fake public company and becomes a real public company, uh, you know, with, with all the money that they got from the IPO. So, uh, it's a, it's sort of like a alternative way to go public on the stock exchange. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And where are you guys at now in the process? We're we're pretty far along. So uh, we met up we met up with Matt, and after talking to him and a bunch of other specs, we decided that was that was the one that was for us. Uh, that was pretty quick. So we had that done like by March, and then he did a ton of diligence on us. It took like four months. It was the worst diligence that we've ever had. Like so thorough and brutal, and just like all these outside consultants. It was like wow, this, this is real. I, it's a lot. <laughs> a lot of disclosure going on here. Exactly. So that took us basically until uh, July when we announced the transaction. And now we're in this sort of back and forth process with the SEC about making sure that our uh, that our financial filings are you know ready for the public market and accurate and everything. That process usually takes like three or four months. So for us, we're sort of midway. We've been through one round of comments with the SEC. Uh, we're thinking probably sometime early December. But, you know, it also just sort of depends on how long it takes with the SEC. I can't, I can't wait. I, I believe in Matt and I believe what he's doing. I put my money where my mouth is. So uh, I'm, I'm behind you guys financially as well. So I'm, I'm rooting for you there too. So let's, bring, let, let's, let's bring it home here. Um, you know, for me, this is my masterclass. I get to talk to amazing folks like yourself, Matt Higgins, Gary V, uh, to name a few. And I, and I love to ask, Sean, what is the single greatest piece of advice that you've ever received that you take action on every single day? Um, just don't, don't assume that people know what they're doing. This is, it gets, it goes back a little bit. Like you, you, there's so much power in starting with a blank sheet of paper on a problem. And, you know, the, the old way of doing it is rarely the best way. It's usually just so even things in your own life, right? It's like, I do things every single day that I just do it that way. Cause I've always done it that way. But if you just started from scratch, assume, you know, nothing, start, completely blank sheet of paper you'll usually come up with a better way of doing it and i think we should always evaluate our life that way i dig that one that's a that that that's a good one that's something i try to always keep in mind too like just just not to assume that everyone you're talking to knows exactly what they're doing uh and really try to have your your trust your gut right your gut usually doesn't really let you down um too much and Sean, what would you say, you know, is, is, is your superpower? What do you do better than almost anyone on this planet that really makes you who you are? I Besides collecting makes, baseball cards. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I don't even know what happened in that baseball card Wait, side Side note, before we answer that question, what is your, you still have, what is your prized baseball card? And it doesn't have to be monetarily. You don't have any more cards. I don't have any. I, I, compl- I have no idea where they went. Sometime after I, mean, I went to college, they all, they all disappeared. My parents have moved twice since then, so I know they don't have them. Oh, and I, man. And I, it sucks because I I wish that I I wish I still had them. You know, I had I like, mine. Yeah, I'm jealous. I'm I, maybe I'll start collecting again. Oh, that's good. So back <laughs> so back to that. What's what's your superpower? The uh, I I am really good at um at at absorbing uh, stress and staying calm in any situation. 
And I think that's really, really important, you know, especially when you're doing something like what I do is an emotional roller coaster. And everyone around you will get stressed out. Your investors will get stressed out. The board will get stressed out. The employees will get stressed out, you know, as, as you have these ups and downs. And it's never as bad or as good as it seems. That's <laughs> just the reality. And so you, you just have to figure out how to keep an even keel. And I think it really helps me um, to have that sort of level of emotional control. Do you have any techniques that you could share? How do you keep cool? Part of it is just practice. You know, I've, I've been through a lot of it and I've gotten better at this over time. The other thing is like, I, <laughs> this is going to, so I'm so passionate about what I do, but also I realize it doesn't matter. Like awesome. if everything that I was doing fell apart tomorrow, I'd still be alive. I'd still be able to find enough to eat. I'd still have my, you know, children, everyone else that I care about. And it doesn't actually matter that much. And so I think it's really important for people to realize, like, these aren't life and death things. It's going to be fine. This business fails. You know what? I'll start another one. You know, if I don't have enough money to start the other one, you know what? I'll go get a job. I'll save some money. I'll start another one. It's it's fine. That's good stuff, man. No, I, I, I love it. And, and and last but not least, you know, you look back on your life and you have those moments when you were, you know, think about the time when you were, you know, trying to figure out the, the uh, you know, the insurance and you had to dig down deep and say, listen, we're going to get through this and really, truly harness that inner tenacity that we spoke about at the beginning. And on the flip side of it, you're sitting here in the backyard, you're building an incredible business that has the potential and it will help so many people out there and change their lives. And you want to show gratitude. How do you keep yourself focused? What is your compass? Sean Harper, what is your North Star? I just like to make, I, I just want to be useful to people. You know, like uh, this is maybe not the most glamorous thing. I, I may be able to like make financial services more efficient using technology, but that's like my part in the world. And, you know, I take a lot of pride in that and it makes people's lives better on a day-to-day basis. So I think just, you know, figure out what you're adding to the world and you know embrace it and just go you know just run with it i love it man this has been a great conversation sean i want to thank you so much for joining me i want everyone to check out kin.com k-i-n.com note it's not available in all states yet but it hopefully will be eventually uh sean hang with me for one moment here while i sign up but i want to thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it man thank you so much this was a lot of fun Cool, good stuff. Hang with me for a moment here. And everybody listening at home, I really hope that you do enjoy this show. Please check out Ken. Remember to find us on all the social media channels at thepodcast.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, if you find value in it, if you're like, damn, you know, I know someone that lives in Louisiana, Florida, or all the other states, and they're frustrated with their insurance, tell them to check out Ken. This is a game changer, everybody. Remember, I mean, take care of each other. I mean, that's, that's, that's what's resonating from this episode. Look out for one another and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.